And so it is, we come to the end of this section of Romans, Romans 9 through 11. We will be looking here in this recording at 1125 through 32, the final paragraph in this long sustained argument that began in chapter 9 has worked all the way to this point. And this paragraph is really a summary of Paul's argument in this whole section, 9, 10, and 11. And so it doesn't introduce any real new ideas per se. It simply pulls together everything Paul has said and emphasizes God's mercy in all of this. He says this in 1125. He says, for, notice again, 25 begins with an explanatory for, which means it's directly and logically connected to what preceded. Uh, We broke it apart because of time and length of recording, but it's directly connected. So he's finishing his pulling, really summarizing the argument here. For, I don't want you, uh, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. This mystery in verse 25 here is what he's been explaining in the preceding paragraphs. Um, It's summarized in what follows as a partial hardening has happened to Israel as the Gentiles are coming in. And so this mystery is why Jews, um, why so many Jews are rejecting the gospel. What's the state of those Jews and what's the future state of those Jews? And it all has to do with the gospel and faith in Jesus as the Messiah. So that's the mystery. I don't want you to be uninformed of this mystery. Just think back to the preceding paragraph or two so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. Remember, he said there in the middle of chapter uh, 11 that he is speaking to you Gentiles. He doesn't want you to be arrogant or conceited towards the Jews. Even those Jews who haven't believed, I don't want you to look down on them. I don't want you to think you're better than them. I don't want you to think you're, you owe everything to the Jews and their Jewish heritage if you're a non-Jew. And so uh, don't be wise in your own estimation. Um, And so he states now here, the mystery in summary, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does it mean by a partial hardening of Israel? Well, it's what he has explained up above, that there is the remnant and the rest. And so a partial hardening is part of Israel has been hardened. Not all of it, because there's some Jews who have believed in the gospel. There's that faithful remnant. But there has been part of Israel that is hardened, that has been resistant to the gospel. Paul noted this in verse 7, where he said, You have those who have believed and have been faithful, right? They have obtained salvation by faith in the righteousness of God, and the rest were hardened. Well, that's what he means by a partial hardening here, is that the rest were hardened. So part of Israel has been hardened. And Paul says that this hardening will last until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so When does that happen? Well, that happens at the end of time when Jesus returns. And so part of Israel is going to be resistant to and unbelieving of the gospel all the way up until the very end. And so for the whole history of the church, for the entire church age, from the first coming of Jesus till the second coming of Jesus, part of Israel is going to be hardened. It's just the way it's going to work. You're always going to have the remnant and the rest. And then Paul says in verse 26, and so... All Israel will be saved. Wow, that statement has generated so much ink and so much controversy. But I think if you read it in the full context of 9, 10, and 11, it's pretty clear what he's talking about. So just to clarify a couple little details. First, the word so, and so all Israel will be saved. 
not then. It's really important we pay attention to a little tiny word like so. He doesn't say, and then all Israel will be saved. So it's not like Israel is going to be partially hardened. Uh, once all the Gentiles that are going to come in have come in, at that point, then Jews are going to, a bunch of Jews are going to be saved. It's, there's no sequence with so, all right? So he doesn't say, and then, he says, and so. And the word so, hutos in Greek, means in this way, in this manner. Um, and so all Israel will be saved in what manner? Well, in the manner he's just described. By coming to faith in Jesus Messiah, being grafted back onto the olive tree, right? The family tree. That's the manner he's described. That's the manner he's explained in chapter 10. There's that there's one way to be saved for Jew and Gentile alike, and it's by putting your faith in Jesus as Messiah. And so there's always going to be the remnant and the rest, clear up until the end of time. And it's going to be in this way that all Israel is saved. All Israel is going to be saved. Uh, with part of Israel being hardened, part of Israel believing. And when he says, all Israel, you've got to hear Romans 9, 6 echoing in your mind because that's what started this whole conversation. They are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Now Paul has worked really hard to explain all of that, deal with the implications of all of that. And now what we see is, oh, I get who all Israel is. I've listened closely to Paul in chapter 9, chapter 10, and the first part of chapter 11. I get it, Paul. Uh, all Israel equals the faithful remnant of Israel, the believing remnant of Israel, now that Messiah has come. That's who all Israel is. It is that faithful remnant throughout time, and particularly in Paul's day and ours, the faithful remnant who has believed that Jesus is the Messiah. That's who he's talking about. And so in this way, all Israel is going to be saved. You will know who all Israel is because they are the ones who have put their faith in Jesus as Messiah. That's how they're going to be saved. So Paul has told us that they're not all Israel who have Jewish blood flowing through their veins. He's told us in chapter 10 that Israel has been rejected because they rejected God and what God is doing in the Messiah. He's told us that the means of salvation for both Jews and Gentiles is the same. It's faith in Jesus. We got that in the paragraph right before this. And therefore, what he's not saying very clearly in Romans eleven twenty six is that every Jew is going to be saved simply because he's a Jew. He's just not saying that. Paul doesn't believe that. He's made that very clear in these chapters. Um, he means by that the best understanding of all Israel in the whole context of 9, 10, and 11 is a believing remnant of Jews a faithful remnant of Jews. I admit the possibility that it could be all Israel in the sense of uh, Jews and Gentiles combined into one new people of God. That's possible. And Paul does use that idea somewhere. I think that's what he means by the Israel of God in Galatians chapter 6. I just think in context here, it's probably better to understand the phrase all Israel referring to all believing Israel. He's been pretty precise about that all throughout these three chapters. Paul then goes on in the second half of verse 26 and through verse 27 and says, and this, this way of Israel being saved is actually in keeping with Isaiah 59, 20 and 21, which states that a deliverer will come from Zion. Paul quotes it as this. Uh, he says, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so Paul says, Israel's sins being taken away, as promised in Isaiah 59, 
that happens through the deliverer. And the deliverer is Jesus who will remove their sins and thus remove the curse. And, and so Israel, a faithful remnant of Jews coming to faith in Jesus Messiah, that's how God is going to save them. And it's in keeping with what God promised in the Old Testament. And so then Paul takes at this point in verses 28 and 29, and he really draws out a very specific, clear application for his original audience of his day. This is what Paul's had to wrestle with and had to deal with is the hostility from Jews towards him as he preached Jesus Messiah. And so Paul draws out an implication and an application directly pertinent for himself and for his original audience. He says this, he writes in verse 28, so from the standpoint of the gospel, they, meaning they Jews, are enemies for your sake. They're opponents. They're hostile, right? Like they're hostile to the gospel and thus they're hostile to believers in the gospel. They've been hostile towards Paul. They've been hostile towards the his churches. You read the book of Acts, most of the conflict that's stirred up against the believers uh, in Paul's churches that Paul planted has been caused by the Jews. So that's what he's dealing with. From the standpoint of the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, that is from the standpoint of election, the standpoint of God's plan, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. And so for the Gentiles listening on this, and even for Jewish believers who might be having problems with fellow Jews who have rejected the gospel, he's like, that tension, that hostility, it's real, but it's, it's as a result of the gospel, right? And yet, because of God's election, they're beloved because of the fathers. They're beloved because of that holy root, this story that began with Abraham and worked its way through Isaac and Jacob and up through Moses and through David and down to the present day, that faithful, uh, holy word of promise that has moved forward. The Jews are beloved because of that. Like We owe everything to them for that. As he says in verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Uh, and the idea of irrevocable means, um, according to Bauer and Gingrich, a Greek dictionary says not to be regretted. That is not to, something to be taken back. God's not going to take back his promises to the Jews. He's not going to take back what he began with Abraham and the Old Testament story. God's not going to take it back. There's no take backs here for the Jews. Um, and so even though there's tension and hostility because of the gospel and there's significant problems in the relationship between unbelieving Jews, believing Jews, believing Gentiles, um, God, there are no take backs here on what God has done with the Jews. And so they're beloved for that sake. Um, and Paul goes on in verse 30 and says, For just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, right? Like their disobedience in putting the Messiah to death and in rejecting the gospel. Sometimes very tangibly in Paul's ministry, uh, Paul would go to the synagogue, preach the Jews. When they rejected it, then Paul would immediately go to the streets and start preaching to the Gentiles at large. And so like their own disobedience Putting the Messiah to death, rejecting the gospel has actually led to you being experiencing the mercy of God. So he says in verse 31, so these also now have been disobedient. These Jews have now been disobedient that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. And so the hope is that they will come to faith in Jesus and they will experience God's mercy as well so that uh, they too can can 
get in on the great gifts of God's mercy because this whole thing is a result of God's mercy. Gentiles are in because of God's mercy. Believing Jews are in because of God's mercy. Jews who have not yet believed but someday will will get in because of God's mercy. It's all of God's mercy. So verse 32 says in grand culmination, for God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, you're in because of mercy, mercy, which means there's no place for a superiority complex. There's no place for being conceited or being arrogant, as Paul talked about up above. Uh, we're all in because of mercy. So let's show mercy to each and every person who comes in. With that, then, Paul ends with just this moment of exuberant praise as he's thought through all this, he's retold the story of Israel. He's shown how God and his great sovereignty has worked all of this out, and he's done so on the basis of his mercy. Paul can't help himself but praise God. So verses 33 through 36 is really a giant praise to God because of his mercy, in the middle of which Paul even quotes some Old Testament as he just gets caught up in this praise. This is what Paul says. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that he might be, might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so when Paul looks back on this grand epic narrative, this grand story of which Israel has been a part, and now he himself gets to play a significant role and the Gentiles are coming into, as Paul looks back over all of that, he is amazed at the sheer brilliance of God, the sheer wisdom and knowledge of God. Who has known God's mind that he would be the one that was going to instruct God, right? Or who, who first gave God anything that God had to pay? Nah, God, God doesn't know. And this is all from the wisdom and the brilliance of God. He ends in verse 36 by saying, for from him, that is from God, and through him, through God, and to him are all things. God is the source the means, and the goal of everything that exists. He is at the heart of everything. So from him and through him and to him are all things. To him, to God, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What a, what a fitting, uh, fitting doxology to conclude this section with as Paul has just thought through the magnitude of what God has done from the beginning of the Old Testament story till the present day. And so let me end with just a couple reflections, uh, concluding reflections that really are out of this section, but even more out of all of 9 through 11. The first is this, the need to believe, the need to believe. Those Israelites who are part of God's people at the present time are part of the faithful remnant, those who now believe in Jesus as Messiah. So there's this need to put your faith in Jesus as Messiah, to still be a part of God's family tree. Those Gentiles, we Gentiles, who are part of God's people, uh, were those who believe in Jesus as Messiah. Um, and thus, it's all about faith, national identity, family heritage, uh, right? Like, well, my grandpa was a preacher, and my daddy was a preacher, and my great uncle. It doesn't matter. What matters is your own dynamic faithfulness to Jesus, your own belief 
and faithfulness to Jesus himself, right? Um, that's what qualifies us. That's what puts us on the tree is simply trusting Jesus. So there's this need to believe in, trust in, be faithful to Jesus himself. That's the first concluding reflection. The second concluding reflection is this, and that is indebtedness and gratitude. Like, like we, we, we're, we're here because of mercy. We, God didn't owe us anything, right? Like he's not entitled to give us anything. He doesn't have to pay us back for anything. It's all because of his mercy. And so those of us who are Gentiles, we're, we're unnatural members of God's family tree, as Paul called us earlier in chapter 11. And we were grafted in later. We're Johnny come lately's into the family tree. And we, we depend on the rich root of the olive tree, Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, and that story through the whole Old Testament. We depend on all of that, the original people of God, the faithful ones under the Old Covenant. And we only stand because of our faith. We're not entitled. And Jews who are part of the family tree, they're there only because of God's mercy in the Messiah and that God was willing to send his son uh, to absorb the curse of covenant unfaithfulness and, and sin so that they too could be released from all of that and be put back into a right relationship with God. So God's saving justice is all motivated by mercy. And so we live with this indebtedness and gratitude. Like, God, we we're here only because you're good, only because you're faithful, only because you're wise, only because you're merciful. And we live with that humility that comes from, uh, I, I have nothing I can give. I'm indebted to God for everything, and I'm grateful for his great mercy.